Sorry, I feel a kind of a gurgly in my throat. <clears throat> I have a gurgly in my throat. Uh... <laughs> I think I peed a little when I coughed. Land Media. This is On Carlson Drive, a dusty little dirt road of memories from the wit and whimsy of Wendy Bonifield. Today's episode, Cigarette Lighters and Closet Fires. My loving and encouraging husband recently posted on my Facebook page an article about a study of second-born children, which I happen to be, tagging me and our second-born child, Hannah. The article was entitled, Study Finds That Second-Born Children Are More Likely to Be Criminals, to which I replied, Awesome! Now I know what I want to do with the rest of my life. Then my dad posted a picture of me looking like some kind of comic book criminal dressed all in black with the caption, There Were Early Tendencies which prompted my Aunt Maggie, my dad's younger sister, to say, Well, you were second-born, Dal. I have a few stories I could tell. But you seem to have overcome those early tendencies. My second-born dad has an older sister, Kathy, and a younger sister, Margaret, whom my dad calls Marg, who was always called Aunt Marge, and now she likes to be called Maggie, which just reinforces my thought of her as wonderfully eccentric. The stories Aunt Marge likes to tell include the time my dad told her to stick her finger in the car cigarette lighter, or the time he built a fire in his bedroom closet. For those of you born after 1995, cars used to have cigarette lighters built into the dashboard. A small tube was designed to be pushed in, and then it would heat up so you could pull it out and light your cigarette or burn your little sister's finger. That is a mean thing to do, but to be fair, not out of the scope of something a big brother would try on a little sister. Not necessarily criminal. At first glance, starting a fire in one's closet could be considered criminal, but let's hear the whole story. First of all, he was only five years old. My father's grandmother would come to visit a few weeks every year, and during one visit she complained that there seemed to be a chill in the house. So my five-year-old dad just wanted to help. He went to his room, built a small fire in his closet, came downstairs and told his mother, Now Grandma will not be cold. Fortunately, his mother did not leave it there, questioned him further, and a disaster was averted. My dad recalls that those are the only two times he ever remembers seeing his mother angry. I vaguely remember my grandmother being angry with my brother Dan once. 
Mostly I remember her to be cheerful and kind. My mother always said she was a saint. I never exactly understood what she meant by that, but I think it had something to do with my grandfather. She was a no-nonsense, common-sense kind of person. Once when we were having a picnic on the beach and a seagull flew over and pooped right into her coleslaw, she just pushed it aside and kept eating, unfazed. She was always busy, working away with this happy little whispery whistle, with a gentle smile and ready to share one of her tongue twisters. Theophilus Thistle, the successful thistle sifter, in sifting a sieve full of unsifted thistles, thrust three thousand thistles through the thick of his thumb. If Theophilus Thistle, the successful thistle sifter, can thrust three thousand thistles through the thick of his thumb, see that thou, in sifting a sieve full of unsifted thistles, thrust not three thousand thistles through the thick of thy thumb. Success to the successful thistle sifter. So Grandma does it a little better. <laughs> I tried, Grandma. The Alphus Thistle, the successful thistle sifter, in sifting a sieve full of unsifted thistles, thrust 3,000 thistles through the thick of his thumb. Now, if the Alphus Thistle, the successful thistle sifter, in sifting a sieve full of unsifted thistles, thrust 3,000 thistles through the thick of his thumb, see the doll, in sifting a sieve full of unsifted thistles, thrust not 3,000 thistles. <coughs> My grandpa, on the other hand, was a curmudgeon. I thought of him as a lovable curmudgeon and an absolute original. He was always busy, too, fixing things, tinkering with old radios or coffee makers. He saved everything. His workshop was full of balls of twine, little bits of string and wire, baby food jars full of buttons and screws and nails and duct tape. He always had duct tape. He would talk about living through the Depression, about people I didn't know with names like Ed Monk. I would get lectured for leaving milk in my cereal bowl. I would have been happy for that milk. I had to put water on my cereal. He had a short temper and would sometimes leave the room in a huff over one thing or another, muttering to himself about noisy kids mumbling about his chair and the house and just getting away. But he always had an odd and wonderful sense of humor, too. He was bald, so it was important to protect his head from the sun. Anything available would be used as a sun shield. He would tie knots in the four corners of a handkerchief if a hat was not handy or plop a dish towel over his head. Grandpa was my go-to guy at family gatherings. I would follow him around and he would show me what he was working on and tell me long stories about relatives I never met. I have three cousins on my dad's side of the family. My cousin Stephanie and Aunt Marge always seemed to be off on some kind of adventure, and we didn't see them often. Aunt Marge was my cool aunt. I always thought her adventures sounded so exotic. She would probably have a good chuckle over that idea. 
I still think she is pretty cool. The kind of person who makes friends wherever she goes, friendly and kind with an easy laugh. She was a librarian and would send us the most wonderful books. Not just a book on your birthday. She would send off a book at any time for no reason other than it was a good book and she thought you would like it. My other two cousins, Liz and John, belonged to my Aunt Kathy and Uncle Dave, two people who hold a very special place in my heart. My Aunt Kathy, a wonderful combination of my grandparents, always busy with the same happy, whispery whistle like my grandmother, the same cheerful and kind presence. It makes me happy. She sent me care packages of cookies and other goodies all through my college years. Then she did the same for my girls as they went off to college. And I know my Aunt Kathy prays for me and my family every day. She is the kind of person who makes you feel well-loved. Now my Uncle Dave. Uncle Dave is a character, a character of the best kind, full of the worst jokes you have ever heard, who every child knows as the man with the handkerchief mouse. He has a special way of folding his handkerchief into a little mouse that he would make jump from his hand into yours, or as you pet the little mouse on the head, it would jump out of his hand right at you. I'll have to ask him someday how many handkerchiefs he goes through in a year. Uncle Dave was my other go-to guy at family gatherings. John was about the same age as my younger brother, Dan. Liz was a year older than me and a year younger than my older sister, Lisa. And because it's way cooler to hang out with someone older than you, Liz and Lisa spent most of their time trying to avoid me. Grandpa or Uncle Dave were more fun anyway. Uncle Dave was always on my side. On hikes, he would sidle up next to me like he had this great secret and open his hand to reveal a handful of raspberries or blackberries he had found on the trail just for me. I always felt like that was his way of making up for me being the odd man out. My Uncle Dave loves to tell the story about taking all of us kids fishing, and I was the only one who caught any fish. The others would put their line in and wait and wait and never get a bite. Then you would throw yours in and right away pull out another fish. You were having so much fun catching fish after fish. I don't actually remember this happening, but he loves to tell me this story which makes me smile because he took so much joy in my success. Like I said, he was always on my side. In later years, when my daughter Hannah, who struggles with some physical challenges, would be straggling along behind everyone else, guess who was right back there with her? Yep, Uncle Dave. In the early years, family gatherings often took place at Bel Air campgrounds. I have no idea where Bel Air Campground is located. I was at that age when you get in the car, fall asleep, and wake up in a new location. I do know that the campground was managed by my great-aunt Helen. I don't know much about my Aunt Helen, other than she was a miniature version of my grandmother. The campground had a softball field that would draw a crowd to watch the games. Those were exciting times. Interesting people would show up at the campground, people on motorcycles with tattoos, and men with crazy wax mustaches. 
and the promise of a free bag of popcorn. And in my young life, it was only ever a promise, never a reality. We knew that if a foul ball or a home run was hit over the fence, we could retrieve the ball and bring it to the candy shop for a free bag of popcorn. There were never enough games or enough home runs for me to achieve my goal. But that didn't stop me from hanging around. Maybe I'd get to see that guy with the funny mustache again. There are many fun pictures from this time. One of a swan attacking my Uncle Dave, which prompts me to tell everyone every time I see a swan that swans may be beautiful, but they are mean. Another is a series of pictures of my brother Dan and my cousin John that we love to give them a hard time about. The first picture is of the two of them pumping water into a bucket from a water pump. The next is the two of them peeing into the said bucket. And the next is them carrying the bucket back to the campsite. Now John swears up and down that he was only watching Dan pee into the bucket and not participating. And I hate to admit it, but on closer inspection of the picture, I think he might be right. I'm glad my dad was a good photographer. He got some good shots. Well, that's the cast of characters on my dad's side of the family. It's a pretty good bunch. My cousin Liz freely admits that she and my sister Lisa were pretty mean to me when we were kids. And I do remember feeling lonely and left out sometimes. But mostly I remember the good things. I'm pretty sure there's no lasting damage. Although I'm not sure my sister Lisa still doesn't try to avoid me now and then. So everybody, we're in great luck today because we have one of the world's most special people with us today. Here's Aunt Kathy. Say hello. Hi. I know that you've listened to this story. So how'd I do? Did I get a good description of everybody, do you think? Perfect. Oh, perfect. Absolutely. <laughs> I didn't know anybody knew all that stuff. Oh, well, you know, it's just all from my, from my memory. You have a wonderful memory. You probably have a whole lot more stories to tell about grandma and grandpa than I do. What kind of stories? Like when they were younger or? I don't know. You, well, you know, I remember. Okay. So what I remember of grandma is like what I said is that she was just always busy. Right. Happily working on everything. And is that sort of the description you you remember your mother as? You described her very well. She was always very calm, very I don't know if she was confident, but she gave across that she was. I think she probably l learned it. When I think of her, I always thought she was uh, shy, quiet. Um, and when I think of the fact that when she was a young officer, she opened a corps. Is that right? She opened a Salvation Army Corps all by herself as a single woman back in, what would that have been, uh, 19... She was born in, as Daddy would say, aught four, <laughs> and um, went to training when she was 20 or 21. Um, and then she married, was it at 32? It would have been in between there, and I believe it was... Oh, 
around about 1930, we're guessing. So around 1930, she opened a Salvation Army church, Salvation Army Corps, as a single woman. Correct. In Flint, Michigan. Correct. That's really, that is something I did not know about her. It's impressive to me. Yeah, me too. That's really neat. And the other thing she told me, I didn't know she was bold enough to do such things. She said she told them she wouldn't do it unless they had a building first. That's a really great story. I love that. I think she could do a lot of things none of us knew she could do. She just quietly did them. I think she was a very quiet woman. I always thought she was shy, and I thought, how could she have done that? I couldn't have done that. Grandma was an accountant at Sears. Oh. Really? I didn't know that. When? I don't know. That's what Liz just texted me. I didn't know that. So she did that before she became a Salvation Army officer. She was an accountant at Sears. Huh. And so no wonder eventually, when she worked at the Men's Social for the Salvation Army, um, she was bookkeeper. Of course. Yeah, that would be a natural transition. I feel like there's so much that I don't know about Grandma and Grandpa, because cause you say Grandma was just quiet. She just sort of went about her business, and she never really told stories. And yeah. I mean, Grandpa was always telling stories. True. <laughs> but Grandma just kind of quietly did her own thing. Yes, she did. And Grandpa was always telling stories about um, all kinds of different people, different characters. The name I, that always I remember is Ed Monk, and I, you know, I have no idea who that was. Me either. There. <laughs> well, I don't, maybe I'm mixing up a couple names. It's very possible. I mean, I don't even remember the Monk. I've been gone too long. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Grandpa's been gone for a while. We should have recorded everything. You know, back in the day when we used to send um, those CDs back and forth, yep. they weren't even CDs, were they? No, they weren't CDs. They were tapes. They were tapes. That was that far back. Right. And you just recorded over them. Which is too bad. We did find uh, some letters, though, right? I haven't got to see those letters yet between Grandma and Grandpa. They're, they're secret love letters. I think my mom still has them. Okay. Have you not seen them? I did. We all mentioned, all three of us mentioned the fact that we had no idea they were so madly in love. <laughs> they it didn't was, show it. It was like reading a soap opera. Well, it was moral, but I mean. <laughs> sure, a moral soap opera. Their terms of endearment and they're missing each other and the things that were going on in their lives and just like everyday stuff that they did and shared with each other in letters. I think that's lovely. I know they're still out there. They're out there somewhere. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. Liz asked me a question. She said, why did he call Grandma Lolly? Oh, yes, that's a good question. I don't know. She was oh. called Lou or Lolly. Well, her name was Luella. So I guess that's just a nice transition from Luella to Lolly. Friends may have called her Lou. Um, I did, I've seen and heard that, but Lolly, no. He was the only one who called her Lolly. Probably. And her letters to him, the only thing that I remembered was he called, she called him Artie. Did she call him Artie at home? Was that something that he... I don't remember what she called, but never heard that expression. She just, in letters. Except when we moved her to Adrian. Everything was all arranged, and then Daddy up and died. It was very inconsiderate of him, but that's what he did. Rude. 
then since we had already been in contact with this residence, we moved her there. Marge and I, Dal, we all got her there. And there was one time when I was there visiting and I don't know what all we were doing. I guess I was just trying to help her feel like that was home or get her comfortable with where she was. And I can still see her to this day. And she was standing there and she said, oh, Artie, why did you leave me? Oh, my goodness. Absolutely broke my heart. Never heard her call him Artie, ever. Just that one time. That's the only time. Oh, goodness. And then it was in the letters. So apparently he always called her Lolly. Right. But she never called him Artie, except for that one. No, I never heard that. (laughs) Great. Well, thanks for making me cry, Aunt Kathy. I know. Just one of those things. It was just hard to believe. That's really sweet. They were very, and Marge and I have talked about this, they were not demonstrative at all. No, I never remember that. They didn't use loving words and a lot of affection and a lot of touchy-feely. And so that's why it was just, it was such a surprise to hear her refer to him that way. That's, that's really sweet. That's a, that's a lovely story. Even if it made us cry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, we can move on that and remember grandpa as the um, curmudgeon that he was. Good word. (laughs) Although I always remember grandpa fondly. I tell Dan, my brother Dan, sometimes that he reminds me of grandpa. Really? It's intangible. I can't really, you know, describe because he doesn't look like grandpa in the least little bit. No. And Dan can be a curmudgeon as well. Well, that could be, but I'm not touching that. (laughs) I like Dan. I like Dan too. (laughs) But I've told him that. I told him he can be a curmudgeon, so it's fair. Then, you know, went on to talk about Uncle Dave. And you said before, and I'm going to make you say it again, that I had it right on the ball that I described Uncle Dave to a T pretty well. Absolutely. You were always his favorite. Ta-da, say that again. You, Wendy, were always Uncle Dave's favorite. That's right. I was always Uncle Dave's favorite. And it was because Liz and Lisa were friends, and Dan and John were friends, and they each played with the other, and you were left out, and he felt bad. That was always all right with me. I always knew it. Was, well, you, was, you certainly did. You did get that right. And I do yeah. like the fishing, fishing story as well. <laughs> I, I remember that um, Dave just had the best time ever. That one time when you all went fishing together and were all on, apparently on a little bridge. And Dave said they were, he, they couldn't keep filling the, putting the worms on or taking the fish off fast enough. And daddy got mad and left. But then, you know, that was him. And right. Dave was there with all you kids, with throwing lines in. He was putting worms on and taking little bitty fish off. They, he couldn't do it fast enough. Yeah, he's told me that a couple times. I don't, I don't remember it, but I love that he tells that story and loves it. I think the idea was, I think it was discussed that if you all caught fish, you were supposed to eat them for breakfast. Yeah, that was not going to happen. Well, Grandma cleaned all those little babies, and nobody ate any. I was going to say, I can't imagine we ate them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Grandma, 
She's so good. <laughs> yes, she was. That's funny. Um, so and I, when I wrote this story, I actually wrote it before Uncle Dave passed. And um, I was going to ask him how many handkerchiefs he goes through in a year. Oh. But I imagine you probably know the number better than he well, did. Well, I don't know how many, but I I was always buying packages of handkerchiefs. Because <laughs> he would make them and leave them with somebody. Each of my girls have one. They have really? a little... They all have a little mouse that Uncle Dave made out of a handkerchief. <laughs> and I know that when he passed away, so many people talk about how they had that little handkerchief that he yeah. makes a little mouse out of. Back in the day, we would visit our families, our parishioners. And when there were children in the home, this was what he did. He would make the mouse to keep the kids happy yeah. and quiet. We went to a funeral in Ark City some years ago, and he, again, little girls that had grown up and had families, asked him to make a mouse for their children. And one of the gals went to the store and bought a package of handkerchiefs so that he could do that and give them all a mouse. You know, I think it's wonderful that something so simple like that brings joy. Yeah. Yeah. It is so great. What you did say was certainly spot on. There's no better way to say it than that. Your observations of Uncle Dave and doing stuff together. Yeah. You it got it. Good stuff. All right. <laughs> good. Okay. Oh, well, it was definitely worth all of the uh, technical struggles <laughs> to, <laughs> to get this recorded. Oh, we were never going to get this done. But we did it. This episode of On Carlson Drive was produced for Boogie Land Media by Randy and Wendy Bonifield. Sound design, mix, and editing by Randy Bonifield, and distributed through our friends at podbean.com. All stories were written, edited, and narrated by Wendy Bonifield. All original music and music arrangements are written and performed by Randy Bonifield. Additional music credits for episodes can be found at our website, oncarlsondrive.com. Remember to subscribe, and please like, add, friend, and review this podcast wherever you find us, but especially on Apple Podcasts, as it helps others to find us. Follow On Carlson Drive on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at username On Carlson Drive. You may also contact us at OnCarlsonDrive at gmail.com. Special thanks to all our friends and families who, unbeknownst to them, we're writing the stories we tell simply by living them. Join us next week for a new episode. Until then, I'm Randy Bonifield, and you've been listening to On Carlson Drive.